Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Hello, it's producer Richard here stepping into the normal Hiraith feed to share this special episode, which is a short talk from former First Minister Carwyn Jones that the Hiraith team have been discussing at length in our group chat. Recorded at University College Dublin's Institute for British Irish Studies and reproduced here with permission, these remarks from the former Welsh Labour leader neatly crystallise the position of what we might call Welsh Welsh Labour, the pro-devolution, federalist, confederalist and even arguably the independent supporting wing of the party, with regards to the future of the United Kingdom and Wales's place inside or outside of it. Carwin lays out his vision for how the British Union could be reformed and we're curious to know what our listeners think about it and would like to encourage you to let us know. We hope you enjoy. I sit here somewhat uncomfortably as somebody who has been branded a unionist, which is not what I call myself, I have to say, uh, because it carries certain connotations, which I'll come to in a second. But I think it's hugely important to understand that the debate now has to move on from being quite a sterile debate between you are either a unionist or you are a nationalist. There are gradations uh, between the two positions that need to be looked at, and it's particularly true in Wales. The UK is a very odd state in the sense that it's multinational, we know that, but it's also probably the only state in Europe where if you ask people what their nationality is, they will not give you as their first answer the nationality of the state that they live in. Two-thirds of people in Wales will say, well, I'm Welsh. That's my primary identity. I suspect it's even more so in Scotland, and it's the same in England. Um, they wouldn't quibble with being identi- with identifying as British as well, but that's not what their primary identity should be. If you ask me my nationality, I'm Welsh. That's the way I got, that's the answer I'd always give you, because that's, what I, that's the, what, what, I, what I feel. And Britain has moved on from what it was in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, you have a far greater assertion of Scottish and Welsh identity within Britain than was ever the case before. Uh, you know, for example, if you saw a Union Jack flying in Wales, you would assume it was the British Legion Club, or you would assume it was somebody who was a Conservative voter, because that's a, it's associated now with Conservative voters more than anything else. Uh, and identity has changed as a result. If you look at Wales, Wales should not exist. It should not exist. We were incorporated into the Kingdom of England in 1536 and left in 1967 to become part of Britain. Our language was banned at a time when everybody pretty much spoke it as their only language. Our legal system was abolished. The last courts that, we, that were separate went in 1830. Our currency disappeared in 1908. Uh, we had nothing. We had no trappings of statehood. We were never a state. We preferred to fight each other as warring principalities. There is a saying in the Welsh language, Gaelin Cymro yw Cymro, a Welshman's enemy is expressed in the masculine, is another Welshman. And that pretty much is true of Welsh history. And Wales should really have just been part of England and and thought of as part of England. It was for a long, long time. What really kept the flame of identity alive was the language, which was the majority language until 1911, uh, which had 900,000 speakers in the 30s and has between 550 and 750,000 speakers now, depends how you count it. Uh, It was that language that kept uh, really alive a sense of Welsh identity and everything that came with it, the nonconformist chapels and preaching in Welsh, that went with that, the uh, Welsh language media that existed particularly strongly in the 19th century. And really, Welsh identity has built on that. It then encompassed the English-speaking majority as they became, 
and now people don't make the distinction you know, as to what language you speak in terms of what your identity is. And yet, it was slow. In 1979, first of all, we had a devolution referendum. It was rejected four to one. Uh, people asked me how I voted. I was 12, so I can't tell you. <laughs> 1999, we had another referendum. Just by 6,000 votes, people voted for a pretty weak assembly that looked more like a county council, if I'm honest, with very few powers, and it squeaked through. In 2011, we had another referendum for a primary lawmaking parliament, and it flew through by a mile, two to one. And that showed how much Wales had changed. In 1999, we had this assembly, couldn't make its own laws. Uh, it, had a, it didn't have a government, didn't have a cabinet. And then we find ourselves now in a country with a primary lawmaking parliament with tax varying powers, which has come a long, long way in a short space, in a short space of time. In fact, a greater journey in a shorter space of time than Scotland in many, many ways. But the debate in Wales has not polarised into independence or union. The reason why I wouldn't describe myself as a unionist, there are many reasons. I'm married to a North Belfast Catholic, and so a unionist has, a, you know, she sees a sash and a bowler hat when, when you talk about unionist. And unionism tends to be associated with a desire to remain within the UK no matter what, what it looks like, and to accept the supremacy of the Westminster Parliament, which is not something I do. I don't, I'm not a believer in parliamentary sovereignty anymore. Nationalist means you want an independent state, you want an independent Wales, passport says Cymru on it, Wales, and you have a seat at the, at the United Nations. Those, those are the two polarised uh, views. If you look at the opinion polls, about a quarter of the population is devo-sceptic, mainly older generation, 65 plus. A quarter of the population is pro-independence, between a quarter and a third, younger people. In fact, amongst younger people, 18 to 24, there's a bare majority for independence. So there's a huge difference in terms of the generations as to the approach to constitutional futures. But in the middle, you have probably the majority of people who are happy to look at something in between. Those people who want to see as much self-government as Wales can get without actually becoming an independent, sovereign state. The question is, how do you satisfy the aims of those people? The first thing we have to avoid is to look at Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, completely separately, as if they weren't related at all. The problem, and Northern Ireland is different, you know, there's no question about that, but the problem with devolution from 99 onwards in the UK is that instead of looking at how the UK works as a whole, and what it means for England particularly, it's basically been a question of Westminster saying, how many powers can we lend to various groups of Celts in order to keep them quiet? That's it. And I use the word lend because parliamentary sovereignty dictates that those powers are lent because they can be legally taken back at any time. Politically, of course, far more difficult. Rather than thinking, how does this all work within the UK? And one of the phrases I've used in the past is that Brexit carries with it the seed of the UK's own destruction, largely because of the way the current UK government operates. We've just had uh, legislation, uh, the Internal Markets Act, that basically says we want the UK to be an internal market without barriers. Brilliant. Everyone agrees with that. No one wants to, we, we don't want barriers for Welsh lamb going into England. Of course we don't. But the arbiter of all this is the UK government, which is also the English government. There's a subsidy control bill, which is even worse, which, for example, gives Whitehall ministers the ability to prevent subsidy payments in Scotland and Wales, but 
but in England, the reciprocal uh, power doesn't exist. The Welsh government can complain about a subsidy in England, tough luck. So basically, and the UK government say, oh, but of course, we're the UK government. We can, you know, we, we can be fair across the whole of the UK. I don't believe that, one second. Uh, and that is one of the paradoxes that you've got the UK government and the English government being exactly the same thing. So how do we deal with this? To my mind, if the UK is going to work in the future, and there are, you know, there are, there are good things about the UK. The fact that there is a common tax base, we benefit from that in Wales. Uh, common border policy, the fact that the welfare state distributes money around in, a, in a quite a fair way. You know, there are advantages in the same ways for me. There were advantages of being a member of the EU as well. Mostly people didn't agree with me in Wales on that one. So there are advantages in being part of something bigger if you're a small nation. But that doesn't mean you have to be part of a unitary state. And that's where, to my mind, the UK has to change. One of the models that you could look at is, is to say, right, what we need really is to, is to say, look, England, Scotland, Wales, and I suppose Northern Ireland, they are sovereign. They decide whether they, whether they want to be part of a union. And if people decide to be part of that union, fine. Then we agree on the establishment of a union parliament that has defined powers, not a supreme parliament that can do what it wants. You know, the irony of the UK constitution is you have a parliament in Westminster that claims for itself the ultimate power to create laws, but is itself lawless, because it's not subject to any laws or, or the jurisdiction of the courts. And you say, there sits the Union Parliament. It deals with the issues that we think are best dealt with at that level, defence being one example. And then we have symmetrical devolution to four parliaments, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Now, England's a difficult problem because it is so big, but you could say, well, within England, England could decide what devolution looks like within England. Uh, and where devolution goes, how much devolution, doesn't have to be symmetric, it's symmetrical in England, but at least then we know we have four entities with equivalent powers, legally, economically not, let's be honest, and then of course there is, there is an agreement to be part of something bigger where powers are given to that, uh, to that union parliament uh, and everyone agrees that, that, that those are the powers that, that should be dealt with there. That's one way of doing it. The biggest obstacle to all this is parliamentary sovereignty, uh, which, let's face it, has only existed since the 19th century and is the view of one man who said to the Westminster Parliament, I think you can do whatever you want. Surprise, surprise, they said, we agree. Of course we can do whatever we want. We're not subject to the rule of law. We're not subject to uh, any kind of restriction over what we can do. And so we have this situation now in the UK where there is a supreme parliament elected by a minority of the people that is not subject to the jurisdiction of any law or any court. That's not democracy, in my view. Now, how do you create the process to go about looking at constitutional change? At the moment, there isn't one. The current UK government isn't interested. It's just not, and it's, it just doesn't think that way. So it would be some time before um, such a process began. But I, the, the tragedy would be uh, if we were in a situation where the process of creating constitutional change in the UK only happened because there was a threat to the existence of the UK itself. It's too late at that point. It needs to be done now. The thinking needs to be done now. And in terms of my party, Welsh Labour, that is where we are. Uh, how d I say my party, I don't lead it anymore. Uh, but the current leader is, is much the same as mine. We are an autonomous party. We're not a unionist party, we're not a nationalist party, 
but we believe in seeking the greatest, the most appropriate amount of autonomy for Wales that is, that is possible. And the reason why Welsh Labour has been so successful uh, over the years is because we, knew, we saw what happened in Scotland, where, to my mind, Scottish Labour moved away from Scottish identity. And as a result of that, the SNP moved onto that ground, and people who were very Scottish but not in favour of independence moved towards being pro-independence. That, that, you know, that, that, there was an abandonment of the ground, to my mind. We never did that. We always took the view that you know, the vast majority, the red-shirted patriots, we call, we call them, the people who wear their, wear their Welsh shirts and the rugby and football internationals, very Welsh, but not in favour of independence. They are the people you have to appeal to. And even though as a party, we're a party that, that promotes social justice, not identity politics, we knew full well that if people didn't feel you shared their identity and outlook, they wouldn't listen to you when it came to um, the policies you wanted to put before them. And that's what we've done. Uh, and the result in Wales is that the debate on what the constitutional future of Wales is, is not polarised. You don't have people saying, right, Labour there, Plaid Cymru there, that's it. There is no common ground. That's not the way it is in Wales. You know, a substantial number of voters, Welsh Labour voters, would vote for independence. There are candidates who stood in the last election in May who openly backed independence, who are Welsh Labour candidates. So you don't have the same kind of polarisation as you've got now in Scotland. You, know, you don't have people in, in Scottish Labour saying, well, actually, we back independence. That's, just, that's gone. Uh, it was the case 20 years ago, but it's no longer the case now. And the debate in Wales is, I think, deeper because of it. And you know, the Welsh Government has been particularly proactive in putting forward proposals for constitutional change across the whole of the UK. Uh, and that's something certainly that I, I very, much, uh, very much welcome. So I hope I'll give you some idea of, uh, of where we are. And um, I'll just leave you with one thought. Arlene Foster could never understand why I would not support David Cameron at the meetings that we had of uh, the Council of Ministers. And I said, Arlene, look, there's one thing that winds me up is the fact you keep on referring to me and to Nicola as heads of regional administrations. We're national governments. And she just couldn't do that from her perspective. She just couldn't see that at all. Uh, and, you know, that... that it was a different way, a different way of looking at the world. But you know, doing nothing is not an option. Doing nothing will see fragmentation uh, and uh, losing a lot of the things that actually work very well across the UK state. Uh, and if action isn't taken pretty soon, I think we're in danger of seeing that fragmentation becoming real. So there we have what some might call radical confederalism, the idea to reimagine the British Union as four sovereign nations working together. This is of course similar to the Constitution Reform Group's new Act of Union project and other similar League of Island Nations type proposals. But is it either deliverable or desirable? Do let us know what you think. And while you're thinking about Wales's constitutional future, can we at Hiraith recommend that you engage with the Welsh Government's Independent Commission on the Constitutional Future of Wales, led by Professor Laura McAllister and Dr Rowan Williams. The links to both a simple feedback submission form and also the full consultation documentation are in the show notes. Please do submit a contribution before the consultation closes on the 31st of July 2022. So thanks to Jonathan Evershed at University College Dublin for permitting us to share this clip. And you can also find a link to the full event recording in the show notes. Dil Hamrando, thanks for listening and for supporting independent Welsh media. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. 
If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.